to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show. The voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokens and tokens and non-tokens of liberty. It is Wednesday, February 15th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode 890, and coming up on today's show, we've got highlights from the Cannabis Collaborative Conference. I was out there earlier this morning, so in our focus section, You'll get to hear a speech from Amy Margolis, an attorney here in the state of Oregon, on how they're merging the medical and recreational programs here. Our guest today is Doug Fine with our Hemp Day Hump Day update. We'll talk to him live. We also spoke with Mary Lou Burton, the founder of the Cannabis Collaborative Conference. She's got a really cool way of hooking up entrepreneurs with investors at the conference. It's also taking place tomorrow. Plus, in hour two, George Zimmer and Steph Shearer, the founder of Americans for Safe Access. But first, let's get to the marijuana headlines. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in four minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Wednesday, February 15th, 2017. Colorado's governor on Tuesday warned California lawmakers that their state has a, quote, steep hill, end quote, ahead of them in legalizing recreational marijuana, urging them to pay close attention to aspects such as homegrow, homegrow regulations, pesticides, and public safety. Governor Hickenlooper addressed California lawmakers in Sacramento to share his lessons learned and words of wisdom from when his state launched its first-of-the-kind adult-use cannabis sales in 2014. He told lawmakers of how he was not a supporter of legalized marijuana in Colorado when voters passed Amendment 64 in 2012 and his concerns about the unintended consequences of such a move. However, health officials have not seen a spike in teenage use. There has not been a dramatic increase in overall usage or consumption. A collaborative taxation system exists to stamp out the black market and fund programs to address any unintended consequences. And polls show that residents are increasingly in favor of continued legalization, he said. Wisconsin Attorney General Brad Schimmel says the medical community should decide whether marijuana is suitable medicine not state lawmakers. Democratic legislators have proposed legalizing medical marijuana after Republican State Assembly Speaker Robin Voss said he's open to the idea. But the effort faces long odds given opposition from Republican Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald and Governor Scott Walker. Schimmel told reporters in St. Paul, Minnesota Monday that he doesn't think that the decision should be made by lawmakers. He says that power should rest with the Food and Drug Administration and medical organizations which haven't recognized the drug as medicine. Schimmel says marijuana is a gateway drug that can frequently lead to more dangerous drug abuse. Wisconsin Democrats have also called for a non-binding referendum to measure support for legalization. An Indiana measure that would allow some epileptic people to be treated with oil derived from cannabis plants has cleared the state Senate. 
Indiana is among the last states to forbid even the issue of marijuana extracts that are low in THC and high in cannabidiol, or CBD, the compound that studies suggest may help reduce epileptic seizures. The measure creates a registry for some physicians, nurses, individuals, and caregivers to treat intractable epilepsy with cannabidiol and permits pharmacies to dispense it. The Senate has sent it to the House for consideration. An amendment to the bill replaces references to hemp oil with cannabidiol. The measure defines cannabidiol as a plant extract or mixture containing less than 0.3% THC, at least 5% CBD, and no other controlled substance. Michigan prosecutors are struggling to find a way to prosecute a medical marijuana grower whose booby trap injured a police officer investigating a robbery. Officer Dustin Cook of the Wyoming, Michigan Police Department was investing an early Sunday morning break-in at a medical marijuana grow site when he scaled a gate to reach a broken window. On the other side was a sheet of plywood with more than 103-inch threading decking screws pointing upward. Both of his feet were impaled. Existing law covering booby traps addresses spring-loaded devices and explosives, but apparently not a bed of nails or screws on private property, Kent County Prosecutor Chris Becker said. Wyoming Police Chief James Carmody says he is mystified why the grower felt the need to use a bed of screws when the building had a working alarm system. Three Montana medical marijuana providers indicted on federal drug charges are asking a judge to throw out the case, claiming a 2016 court ruling means the United States Department of Justice cannot prosecute them since they followed Montana laws. The DOJ says it does have a right to prosecute, alleging that the Montana Buds defendants broke state medical marijuana laws, but have refused to specify how until a hearing at Missoula's federal courthouse on Friday. President Donald Trump is going to have to build a taller Mexican border wall if he wants to block drugs from coming over the border. Border Patrol agents in Arizona found a drug catapult last Friday used to launch marijuana into the U.S. from Mexico. The catapult was attached to the top of a border fence near the Douglas Port of Entry, which is about two hours southeast of Tucson, customs officials said. The contraption was powerful enough to sling 50 pounds of weed into the U.S. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Wednesday, February 15th, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. This isn't normal. But on meth, it is. Let's go! Let's go! Come on! This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Exclusively on RadicalRust.com The 
The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. I experimented with marijuana a time or two and didn't inhale. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. Where'd you learn that, Cheech? Drug school. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our cannabis focus. Earlier this morning, I went out to the Cannabis Collaborative Conference. It was happening at the Portland Expo Center, and keynoting the conference was George Zimmer, the founder of the Men's Warehouse and a philanthropist who donated a lot of money to help get Prop 215 passed back in 1996 in California. But another speech was delivered by Amy Margolis, an Oregon attorney, on the merging of recreational and medical marijuana. I almost marijuana. like belly rolled up onto here because I didn't see the stairs. So it would be like the WWF of cannabis. Um, I might do that later. Okay, so I, my name's Amy Margolis. I am excited to be here. Mary Lou always puts on an amazing conference. Mary Lou, are you in here? Well, let's give Mary Lou a round of applause that hopefully she can hear from wherever she is. <clears throat> so I thought about what to talk about. And I'll be honest, it was kind of a struggle. There are so many good speakers here with so much information. They're going to talk about business law. They're going to talk about how you trademark things. They're going to talk about policy decisions. And so I wanted to do something different. And what I wanted to talk about, and I, I'm glad that Farmer Tom started talking about it, is how we keep the character of the Oregon cultivation community alive. And it's been on my mind, and I know people have mixed feelings, and there's a big divide in our longtime cannabis community about what this industry should look like in Oregon. And I, I see it in the 2017 legislative session that we are headed for a huge decision. As many of you know, there are four bills, maybe there's five now, but last time I checked, there are four bills that would merge the medical and the recreational program together. How many of you are involved in either the medical or recreational program in Oregon already? How many of you are not involved in the industry yet that are in here? So at the end, I'm going to give an awesome pep talk about why you should be involved in the industry. But for right now, I'm really talking about what's going to happen. So Oregon has a long history 
of cannabis cultivation under the medical program. It started in 1998, and the small farmer and many people who have been brave enough to engage in cultivation when it wasn't legal have uh, led the way for this industry to be what it is. And I know that some of you are in here right now, so let's also give a round of applause to all the people who have been doing this for 20 or 30 years and have gotten us where we are. And many of those people have stayed in the medical community. Maybe it's because it's expensive to get licensed. Maybe their property doesn't qualify. Maybe they are unsure what's going to happen with the Trump administration, but they have stayed in the medical program. OLCC, who are here listening, so I'm careful what I say. I see you on the side in the middle. Um, I, OLCC has done a really pretty great job of licensing the people who have turned in applications. They've been very liberal. We're open about the kind of, uh, you know, what money you bring in, criminal history. They've been very flexible. And especially the inspectors have been very, very easy to work with and accessible. That being said, we have come to this point where the OLCC, the Oregon Liquor Control Commission, might take the entire commercial medical program and absorb it. That would be a dramatic change from what we have now. Um, and if you can hear that I'm unsure how I feel about that, it's because I am unsure personally how I feel about that. And let's talk about how it might impact your business. So for those of you who raised your hand, how many of you are patients, growers, or caregivers in the medical program now? So if you are doing that commercially, you will likely not be allowed to do that commercially under the OHA anymore. You'll have to apply for an OLCC license, and you will participate as an OLCC producer, processor, or wholesaler. If you are a patient, you'll still likely stay with the Oregon Health Authority, but the entire commercial program will get absorbed. And so my question to you is if that happens, how do we, like Farmer Tom said, retain what has made Oregon great? How do we make sure that we are protecting patients as we absorb all of the growers who are growing in commercial locations as we move this program forward? How do we make sure that we're not creating in the adult use program a huge glut of material, and how do we keep all of those medical growers from saying fuck it and going back or going to the gray or black market? I mean, those are real questions that we are going to have to answer as this legislative session moves forward. And I, I know I've, now I've asked you to raise your hand like 10 times. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand again. How many, just as a kind of gut feeling, how many of you who are participating in this program or who have listened to me talk for seven minutes, how many of you would like to see a streamlined regulatory program where everything is absorbed? How many of you are concerned about seeing a streamlined med program where medical is absorbed into the recreational program? So these are things, you know, we, for better or for worse, we have been involved in the activism around this for quite some time. And these are things, this issue, you all, if you're not talking about it, if you're not talking to your legislators about it, if you haven't teamed up with an organization whose position you support, these are 
thoughts and feelings you should be sharing with someone. One of the things that's made the OLCC great and the legislature great and the OHA great, um, recently they've had some hard times, but generally they've held stakeholder meetings, um, is that they're willing to listen to what you have to say. So this is your industry. For those of you who want to come into the Oregon market, this is a great place to do business generally. Like I said, you have easy licensing, you have um, great places to grow, you have um, very few barriers to entry, and we're generally kind of a nice state. And our taxes are pretty low, so we're a great place to do business. But we are in a state of complete flux. And for those of you who have been doing this and you have seen the, I'm going to call it regulatory chaos of the last year where we have seen licensing, we've had problems with testing, we've had challenges with packaging and labeling, we've had problems with processors and with deadlines that have been set that are unmeetable, I think we should be thinking about, as we go into this next legislative session, how to create some serious stability in this market. That's my feeling. And with, if we do not create some stability for the participants, if we do not create some stability for the consumer, and I, went in, I go into dispensaries all the time, and I can tell you I could not buy a pen in a dispensary I went in the other day because processes are having such a hard time getting licensed and getting through testing. So I could not go buy what I was looking for. So we have to make sure that we create and that you all engage in this process. Like I said, that you're talking to your legislators, that you're talking to other people, that you're talking to the agencies to create stability, to protect the patients, to create a viable market. And that is on us to do that. Whatever your position may be, whether you've agreed with me historically or not on issues, it is our, I think, kind of last stand. If you think that this should be combined into a streamlined market, you should express that and express how to do that so we're not going to do a whole reorganization of the regulatory structure. If you think patients are going to get hurt by this, and I know many of you think patients are going to get hurt by this, how can that be most effectively expressed to the people who need to hear that? So I, I, my hope for this market, my hope for you all who are either in it or want to join it, is that you find some peace, that you are prosperous, that you are taking care of the people who have got you here and the patients who need this, and that we can all work together to create what Oregon should be, which is the premier cannabis market in the country. There is absolutely no reason we should not be that. And we should be, eventually when the borders drop and from the White House and some other things happen, we will be the epicenter for cultivation and exporting to other states legally. But if we get this wrong now and we keep making dramatic shifts, we are going to have some struggles. So I'm excited for all of you. We have other things coming up this session. Social consumption actually has a lot of support in the legislature. We're excited to see that. 
We are excited to see that there are some employment bills out there. There's some reorganization of where the taxes go. And all of these things are really excellent. But we need to, and I think this might be the year, that all of us can come together to make sure that we create the very best market ever. So I don't know if you have any questions. I'm so glad to be here. I do thank OLCC that have worked incredibly hard. I see ODA is sitting over there too. Uh, we can do this. Um, and I think you guys are all going to kill it, but we're going to have to keep working. So thank you. I don't know if you have questions. There's microphones, but... Yes, and I'd have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for these blasted kids and their dogs. All right, folks, that sound means it's 20 after. Time for us to take our union-mandated safety briefing. Happy 420 friends in the Mountain Time Zone. We'll have more highlights from the Cannabis Collaborative Conference that's taking place right now at the Portland Expo Center, as well as tomorrow. Check out ccc-con.com if you'd like to attend tomorrow's event. We're back with some drug war data mining, calculating THC in a joint. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. And I think personally that they should legalize drugs, all drugs, so that they can control them, tax them, provide prevention and treatment programs just like they do for alcohol. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. Hey, this is great, man. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Data Mines, we take a look at an article that was published in The Cannabist. actually came out on my birthday, January 31st, and it references a report from 2015 that was done by the analytical testing lab, The Workshop, and it was entitled, The Conversion and Transfer of Cannabinoids from Cannabis to Smoke Stream in Cigarettes. This is an interesting uh, paper and an interesting report to me, because we've been going over the issue of dosage when it comes to marijuana edibles. There's been a lot of talk about how large a standard dose should be, 5 milligrams of THC, 10 milligrams of THC. Colorado puts a limit on 100 milligrams that you can have per uh, per serving or per uh, uh, package, I guess. 
And so there's been a lot of discussion of that when it comes to the edible products, but not so much when it comes to vaporized or smoked products. So this question came into the cannabis that asked about smoking a one gram joint of uh, marijuana. And if it was 15% THC, how many milligrams of THC would you be uh, ingesting? And they went through using this uh, report from the workshop to detail how you'd figure this out. Now, first thing we have to get out of the way is that when your dispensary is telling you uh, their testing shows that the marijuana is 15% THC, they're not actually talking about THC. They're talking about THCA. That's the acid form of THC, and it's non-psychoactive. It doesn't become psychoactive until you heat it up with the flame, and then, then it converts and decarboxylates is the word for it, and becomes the psychoactive THC we know and love. So there's a conversion formula for this, and what you need to know is how much THCA your joint has, which is usually the number they're giving you. Now, you might get lucky and have one of these really detailed reports that tells you how much actual THC is in the joint as well, already decarboxylated. Usually that's not very much or non-existent. So this formula is to determine the THC in the joint, and that is to take the amount of THCA, the percentage you're given, and divide that by 358.48. Got that on the screen over there, so you can uh, write that down. Divide the THC percentage by 358.48. Whatever number you get, add to that the actual THC. Now, here's the thing. You're probably not going to have that number. Or it's probably going to be zero or really, really close to zero. So really, you can just ignore the THC part of that equation. Take the percent you have, divide, and not as 0 0.015, actually just the number, 1.5. If it's 15%, it's just, would be 15 divided by 358.48. And then whatever result you get, multiply by 314.47. I know, it's like converting Fahrenheit to Celsius. It's a, it's a little janky, but there's your uh, conversion scheme right there. So when you take that 15% joint, 15 divided by 358.48 times 314.47 gives you a maximum of 13.16% THC. Now, you know how much the, the actual THC is after it's decarboxylated, and keep in mind that's the max. Could be less than that, depending on a lot of factors, but if we've got a one gram joint, one gram is a thousand milligrams. Take the 1,000 milligrams, multiply 13.16% of that, and you'd end up with 131.6 milligrams of THC. 131.6. However, when you're smoking the marijuana off the joint, you're not getting 100% of that THC. According to uh, Mario Perez-Reyes at the Department of Psychiatry at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, he did a report called Marijuana Smoking, factors that influence the bioavailability of tetrahydrocannabinol. That is what, what affects how much THC you can get in your body, in your brain. And what he says is up to 40 to 50% of the THC in your joint is lost in the smoke. It's just lost in what they call the side stream smoke. And you've also got the situation where some people inhale more deeply, some people hold longer. There's a lot of variability here. But you can at least think that you're going to lose about half your THC off of the smoke burning off the end of the joint. So, 
if we have that joint that's 131.6, take about half of that, 65 to 66, is about how many milligrams you'd have in that joint if you were to smoke the whole thing. And again, that's dealing with a one gram joint. Now that's a pretty fatty joint. You can get those. You can get one gram pre-rolls, which by the way, I don't understand the term pre-roll. Loose marijuana would be pre-roll. It has yet to be rolled. George Carlin would have a problem with the term pre-roll. I digress. Uh, the U.S. government, in their studies, uh, say that the weight of an average gram is 0.3, uh, average joint is 0.32 grams, about a third of a gram. That's a little on the pinner side. Uh, the folks at High Times, when they did a survey, they found people saying the joint was averaging about 0.75 grams, three quarters of a gram. So you're gonna have to be, you're gonna have to know how much marijuana is in your joint, get an accurate measurement. But take the formula. And then take that times the milligrams, the percentage times the milligrams, then divide by half. And that's going to be relatively close to how many milligrams of THC you are going to be ingesting when you smoke that joint. Again, uh, take some time. Write that down over there if you want to uh, if you want to, want to get some of the uh, information. Or if you would like to find that story out of the cannabis.co. You can always send me an email, radicalrestgmail.com, and I'll send you the link. All right, when we come back, more from the Cannabis Collaborative Conference at the end of the show. But next, we're speaking to Doug Fine in our Hemp Day Hump Day update. All the latest on Industrial Hemp. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The International Cannabis Business Conference comes to San Francisco, California on February 16th and 17th, 2017. The ICBC San Francisco, Northern California's first business-to-business event since the recent historic election, will bring together top state regulators and industry leaders to discuss permits, business models, and opportunities within the newly enacted laws and landscape. Of course, the ICBC also famously offers some of the best cannabis industry networking, leveraging our worldwide following to connect strategic partners and don't forget to come early for our vip reception and stay late for our legendary after party join us for the longest continuously running cannabis business conference in california at the hilton san francisco union square the one and only international cannabis business conference visit internationalcbc.com for tickets today you're not high you're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Grandchildren now don't write a thank you for the Christmas presents. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the Enema Man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog, and they don't like them. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. Marijuana legalization also ushers in the return of the American hemp industry. 
Get the latest news from the author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail, Doug Fine, in our Hemp Day Hump Day update. Welcome back, everyone. 31 after the hour, and it is the middle of the week, and it's the middle of the month, and that means it's time for our Hemp Day Hump Day update with Doug Fine. He's the author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail, two of the best books you can get on the issue. And uh, he's speaking to us from... uh, I'm not sure where he's speaking to us from, but I see him peeking into the uh, frame. How you doing, Doug? It's great to be with you, Russ. I'm here on the Funky Butte Ranch in New Mexico. Oh yes, okay. Glad to have you back in New Mexico. And uh, there's been a, it's been a while since we've uh, spoken to you, so I know there's tons of stuff we need to catch people up on. And uh, just give us you know, where do you want to start? Where should we start with in the uh, hemp update today? Well, you're right. We uh, we last spoke around uh, U.S. election time, so I'll give you a. If you agree, I'll give you an update on the 2000 overall nationwide uh, hemp season. Sounds good. Let's do that. So first of all, there were approximately 9,658 acres of hemp cultivated in the U.S. last year um, across probably a dozen states. Um, It's uh, another double-digit jump. Um, which is amazing when you think that uh, hemp only became federally legal uh, three seasons ago. So we've gone from zero federally legal uh, acres to 10,000 in just three years, which may justify the prediction in Hemp Bound of it being the fastest industry uh, to ever cross the billion-dollar mark in the U.S. economy. Already the flower applications are uh, estimated uh, by uh, one uh, research project to have been worth $143 million last season. My goodness, we're just, hemp is just busting out all over, all around the country. It's such great news to uh, hear about this. Uh, what What's happening in the uh, in the laws now? I know the, uh, the farm bill passed, I, we're, we're pretty much in the clear, but is there anything about uh, the Trump administration uh, coming into power that endangers that or, or changes that is what's the update politically speaking at the federal level? Um, not so much because of presidential administration. There was uh, a recent development. Um, and before I talk about the nuances of the moment to moment, they are you know, important. Um, <laughs> I think of the Mayan calendar that has four or five names for each day. Yeah. Um, you, you know, there's some, whether you're looking at it at the 10,000 year level or, or the one year level, um, as you and I have talked about many times before, I tend to look at the, um, cannabis story already talking about the next chapter. It is at least equally important. The people that are in the ring slogging it out to get us to that final victory, but the final victory is inevitable. And so, um, well, uh, I tend to talk about things like, well, how can we implement it regeneratively in a way that benefits farmers and, and, and climate um, and, and fair trade and organic principles, that kind of thing, rather than, um, oh, my goodness, look at this uh, wonderful decision that California made or terrible decision that the feds made. That said, um, there was a fairly undeniably impactful attempted decision on the part of some federal agencies um, uh, late in the fall that jolted folks um, in a magazine piece I wrote about it. I, I, I uh, said, we're going to all remember 
where we were when we heard that the DEA had filed a uh, an official uh, published an official uh, notice of final rule change that um, uh, attempts to reclassify all components of the cannabis plant um, as a schedule one um, and it's already been decided. Uh, say what you will about the Stanley Brothers uh, when they came out with the Charlotte's Web phenomena that they said, "Hey, we're shipping this forever. Come and get us if you want. This is this is hemp. This is non psychoactive." Um, and obviously, if a uh, uh, a final product of any kind meets the federal definition of hemp, it's hemp, which has long been established as you know legal. You can get it in your supermarket. Is and so to the uh, the Hemp Industries Association lawsuit. Yes. Okay. So the hemp, the hemp industries association, um, alongside uh, Colorado law firm and others have have uh, decided that they are going to sue, um, just basically, you know, the clarification. Like no, no, no one on our side of this has any doubt what the right decision is legally, let alone morally. But just to clarify, you know, and and the truth is, it's a it's something that has evidently been in the works for five years. The timing of it really raised a lot of eyebrows, but it was a. The kind of rule change that actually was was filed uh, a, a long, long time ago. So it's going to wind up being, as is any decision by the very few folks left that are trying to continue the drug war, it's going to wind up being good for us, for the people that favor the the benefit to society and economy of uh, and climate of of ending the drug war, especially the war on cannabis, because uh, you know we're going to win in court. You say the timing was about five years ago. They filed this. Was that then? How does that work out on the timeline? That's about when people were getting aware of CBD from hemp, right? I actually felt a twinge of guilt not to overstate the uh, 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 the importance of my own work, but it was the year Too High to Fail came out, which ah. uh, did did talk about um, uh, CBD and other components of the cannabis plant besides THC. And, um, hey, I'd be very, very flattered to hear that it was being read um, by – by folks in those agencies because it argues, you know, for the, for the benefit, the patriotism of, of, uh, of legalization of cannabis and also talks about how there need not be massive job loss within, uh, agencies like the Drug Enforcement Administration because we do have drug problems in this country. They're just not cannabis. Exactly. And how about at the state level? I know, uh, wasn't it Washington State recently came online with industrial hemp when people were kind of surprised they had thought, wasn't that legal already? Uh, are there any other state updates we need to know about? Sure. Yeah, I, uh, I'll give you a couple, and I'll finish with the project I was involved in. Um, so, um, the I'm happy to report that uh, my own home state of New Mexico just uh, this week, passed, the House side passed uh, Hemp Bill third year in a row. This this year, the vote was 53 to 13, I think, in the House. And the question is whether or not our governor is going to sign it. She's vetoed it twice. Um, it's looking like she may, and it's a, it's a it's a decent bill. So that's uh, good news for uh, farmers in New Mexico. Washington State indeed came online, and it's part of this funny story of how in many places, just in this, you know, I call this the kind of weird transition era we're in now, semi-legality of psychoactive cannabis, semi-legality, uh, when I say semi-legality of hemp, I mean hemp is 100% federally legal to be cultivated, but only under specific conditions, um, having to do with research that includes market research, um, but so it's an interim phase right now, and during this interim phase, there are places where it is actually a lot easier to uh, administratively to cultivate psychoactive cannabis than hemp. Um, part of my long-term mission is uh, for the for the wider world to um, accept that it is all one plant 
and that THC is just one component um, and that we don't delineate in in the future. Um, but it is silly that states like Washington uh, and Oregon uh, that are legal for psychoactive cannabis actually in some cases have more hoops uh, and certainly more expensive registration in the case of Oregon uh, in order to cultivate uh, hemp than psychoactive cannabis. Um, I should say also about Washington since I'm doing some work there that uh, Washington's hemp law, I mean, God bless the, 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 the legislature and the folks who worked on it for legalizing hemp, but um, it has a major, major flaw, which is that uh, uh, it doesn't allow explicitly, does not allow flower applications, hemp, uh, applications coming from the flower part of the plant, which of course is why would you shoot your farmers in the foot, especially for, for a positive product like that? It obviously was thought necessary to get it passed, and I'm sure it'll be changed. Um, Hawaii also unanimously passed its hemp legislation in 2016 and is working uh, somewhat slowly, but get, slowly but surely get to getting its regulations going. It could be some time before the uh, farmers are actually planting um, in the ground. And um, what else can I say? Oh, well, I have to mention Vermont. Um, as I say in my discussion with the New Mexico legislature, I had to take a, let us hope, lucrative business 2,500 miles east to Vermont this year where I teamed up with two other families and I'm uh, thrilled, especially as a beginner, you know, the 10-year hemp journalist, first-year hemp farmer, um, to have cultivated 23 acres in Vermont. I spent a good part of 2016 there. We had a multi-ton harvest. Um, and, uh, it looks great. It's grown under God's sun and we're just, uh, we've just bottled our first run of a uh, product called Hemp in Hemp. It's hemp seed oil that we pressed on the farm. Everything in our product line comes from that, our acreage. Um, and so, uh, it's uh, hemp seed oil pressed on the farm infused with the flowers from the same plant. And we are, uh, marketing, uh, doing our federally legal market research this year into, uh, how that, how that, uh, the market looks for that as a topical, uh, sore muscle, uh, lotion. I, I put it in the bath. Um, uh, and massage oil may, may cause sweetheart shoulders to relax. <laughs> Well, that's great news from all these states working on the industrial hemp, and we appreciate the work that you've been doing on it. And, uh, Doug, now that we've got the Skype video connection, next time we talk to you, we're going to have to get a goat on camera. we got to prove that you're out there with the goats, man. It's true. Although I noticed that um, uh, one month from today um, – oh, yeah, I may be still from here. It's pretty close to the time of the NOCO Hemp Expo in Colorado, so we may I thought we might be coming from there. But uh, we'll uh, got it. We get that, uh, that time. Doug Fine, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your call. Great to be with you, Ralph. See you soon. All right, when we come back, more from the Cannabis Collaborative Conference. We'll hear from Mary Burton, the founder, when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. 
least they pay me to say that. Is this right? Just try not to drool quite so much on the end of it. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Wayne once said that when there's a gold rush, it's a good time to be in the pick and shovel business. Today, we look at the rapidly evolving markets in the marijuana green rush in our Canna Business Chronicles. This morning, I made my way out to the Portland Expo Center for the Cannabis Collaborative Conference. This is the third year it's been going, and its founder, Mary Lou Burton, has been doing a great job exposing the activism world to the business world and vice versa. I got to sit down with her this morning to talk about the conference, which is going on tomorrow as well. Well, good morning, everyone. Radical Rusk here at the Portland Expo Center for the third annual Cannabis Collaborative Conference. I'm sitting here with the organizer, producer, and uh, head honcho of all of this. It's Mary Lou Burton. Hi, Mary Lou. Hi. How are you doing, Russ? I- I'm doing really good. It could be warmer in yeah. here, but it's uh, Actually, nice. I-, I prefer, though, that it's raining because people will want to come to the conference. <laughs> there you go. Got nothing better to do. No snow, though. There, no snow. We'll just keep it as rain. Uh, an amazing conference you got planned here. We were just in the, the lobby as George Zimmer comes yeah, walking isn't by. Isn't that amazing? Uh, I, I love the way he looks isn't and he, shows. And I guarantee it. <laughs> you guarantee it? And his new tagline is, you're going to like the way you feel. Ah, I like that. That's very good. So what's George uh, involved in and and what's his uh, role here at the conference? So he decided to come and um, be the keynote. Um, I think what's really incredible about him, he helped to uh, fund the legalization in California. Right, Prop 64. So been a very big advocate for the industry. He, What I love is he's mainstream and he's very successful. And basically he, in an interview with CNBC, said that um, if cannabis affects his life, you know, you'd never know it because he's right. been very successful. Right. There's been and that article that's got a lot of traction about him mentioning his 50-year love affair exactly, with cannabis. Exactly. And he was actually fired from his own company for smoking cannabis, which, you know, these are the things that have to go away because, you know, it helps to rest people. With me, I'm very ADD and hard to sleep at night. I can't shut my brain yeah, off. Yeah, me too. But And I was hooked on Ambien. And that is a terrible drug. And every doctor kept prescribing me something new. So when I started doing some CBD at night, I have the best sleep I've ever had. Mm. And that's how I can accomplish a conference like this. Yeah. We have 80 speakers. We have um, doctors coming in, scientists from OHSU, Brown, and Harvard sharing some of their first studies. Um, we have uh, – it, it, the lineup is incredible. There will be over 30 hours of video if people can't come to the conference that they can purchase at a later time. But basically one day is 1.49. Um, I was telling you earlier about our pitch portal. Yes, With, yes, with the lack is- of banking – um, and kind of seeing what people are struggling with. These people have worked so hard and have really, uh, the ones that have laid the groundwork for all of us. Um, so I, on one side, I've got all these people coming to me going, I have money to put in the industry. And I'm like, well, it's a hard industry. You better hook up with somebody that knows what they're doing. I said, I have seen people trying to get into this industry, and if they don't work with a grower that has been doing this for years... 
<laughs> Sorry. Sorry. But that have been doing this for years, then um, then they will fail. So what I'm doing is trying to trying to take the um, people that want to invest, but they have no idea how to invest, um, taking them. Sorry about that. <laughs> busy that show here. Busy show. Um, so we're taking the people that want to get into the industry. Um, we have a pitch portal set up on our website and on our app. And people that need funding, need help, want have new technology, they can go into my pitch portal for free. And then they're making appointments. The investors, we have over 10 investors that will be meeting with people in the lounge. So the banking, you know, they can't figure it out. So little small show like ours is figuring it out. And we've got wow. people coming in from all over the world. Um, Oregon is the hub of the cannabis. Um, we've learned from what Washington and Colorado did. And so we're trying to basically make this a place where it's literally cannabis 101, 102, and 103. I've got James Knox from Savant doing an A to Z, how to set up a commercial grow from greenhouse to the seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, just the businesses that are in this industry and the amount of uh, jobs that it's created. It's just it's just been incredible and the people are so fun maybe because they're smoking a little bit maybe they're just laid back i think the world needs to smoke a little bit more oh especially with the news these days oh my goodness oh my gosh now people listening to this now they've missed day one and uh, we'll play a little of uh, george zimmer coming up in a little bit but uh this is a two-day event so two-day event coming tomorrow tomorrow is action-packed as well we've got steve marks on stage um, oh, uh, Stephen Marks from Steve Marks from OLCC, and Earl Blumenhauer, Senator Blumenhauer, my representative, actually called us two days ago and said that he's sending a video with a special message from DC. Oh, some okay. exciting news that's coming out of there because this industry is not going anywhere. Very good. Over sixty million in tax dollars in the last report. Yes, for and Oregon. I just heard that it exceeded wine sales. Oh, we're beating wine in yes. Oregon now. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Isn't that amazing? And, and the cool part is big industry will be coming. And what my the, the importance of this show is about becoming strong. So you can either be ready to be purchased by a Philip Morris or become a craft grower, just like our beer and wine. So there's a lot of options, but people have to become strong and be ready for that. So that's what this conference is about, just helping people with all navigating all the rules and regs. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, OLCC will be here, Oregon Department of Revenue, uh, Oregon Department of Agriculture, Energy Trust, OHA, so that they can wow. answer questions for two days. That is worth the price of admission right there. Absolutely. So in addition to the uh, the focus on the industry and the regulatory side that you yes. just mentioned, uh, we were talking about the medical side of this as well yes. and how this is becoming better known in the mainstream. And, yes. And uh, one of the stats I always like to bring up that blows people away is that in 2002, we had three teenagers who smoked pot regularly compared to two people over 50 who mm-hmm. used cannabis on a regular basis. Yes. Now it's six of those seniors and the same three teenagers. So exactly. the teen use hasn't gone up, but the senior use has tripled. Actually, I've heard teenage has gone down. Yeah, even just a slight bit. Gone, gone down, down. Yeah. because it's not cool anymore because their parents are smoking. <laughs> <laughs> it's like mom's Chardonnay. Yeah. Nobody's yeah. having and, a party And the, the deal Chardonnay. is, I, I think... 
teenagers shouldn't be smoking. It slows them down. They don't need to be slowed down anymore. But as an adult, it helps to calm down and not be so hyperactive. I wish I would have done a little bit more while raising four kids. I think I wouldn't have been so intense. <laughs> One of my uh, former interns and a, a good friend who's in the industry, a friend of mine named Calico Castile. I love Calico. You know Calico. Great guy. Uh, it, it, one of my favorite things he does is he gets himself on the Lars Larson radio show. Yes. This very conservative yes. guy out here in, in Oregon. He also makes it on the national uh, conservative scene. You were just recently on the Lars <laughs> yes, show. Yes. Tell our listeners a little bit about exposing his audience, which is generally an older audience, exactly. to medical cannabis. Exactly. And Lars has an incredible reach, an incredible guy. I love how controversial he is. Um, he, and so he had me on the show, and he started out saying he likes his whiskey and not the weed. And um, and I said, that's great. I go, but, and he basically was like, well, what are the medical? I don't understand this. It seems like an excuse. Sure. And I just kind of basically stated that um, Peggy, one of my sales reps, had fibromyalgia and she was bedridden and now is running marathons. And then um, my 83-year-old neighbor, probably my favorite story, um, we put a patch, gave her a patch. She had back pain so bad she couldn't walk. Mm. She calls me the next day and she's like listen you need to come pick up my friends in a bus take us to the pot store and then to the casino because <laughs> they just want to feel better yeah. my mom passed away two years ago and the amount of oxycodone um just the phenerol that uh, she barely could function and really she was entitled to live her last six months with a clear mind and not be. And I ultimately feel that the drugs may have killed her sooner than it would have if she would have just been able to relieve the pain. Yeah. Um, we had a doctor last year from Alaska who went to a convention. We met him on the plane, went to a medical convention in Vegas. Before talking to us, he had not even thought about cannabis. He went to a track for doctors, and he came out of it, and he left his practice. And he now is treating geriatrics patients with cannabis. Mm. Left his practice. And something he said that I thought was incredible, he said that the amount of pharmaceuticals that we are giving people are masking the real symptoms. Sure. So people aren't getting better. Right. And I thought, I mean, that's an eye-opener. And Russ, I, I'm Catholic. I have four kids. And I never, I always thought, oh, it's so bad. Mm -hmm. And when I looked up the history of it, it became illegal because of the DuPonts, because of big money. Um, and we haven't really fully researched all the benefits of right. it. And it's just hearing the stories that I hear, I'm like, how can something so good be, be uh, brainwashed that mm. it's so bad? When you learn things like the uh, University of Virginia discovering in 1974 that THC had an apoptotic effect on cancer cells, causing yes. them to yes. self-suicide. Yes. And then not only did they try to they quit that research, they tried to remove it from... The, the history books. They try to take it yes. away from us. And that is propaganda. Yeah. That is our government. And it's just, I mean, if you, in George Washington days, you were actually put in jail if you weren't raising a hemp crop. There you go. So my grandpa was a farmer, produce company, so I feel like I'm just taking after the family business. But, you know, when I first jumped into it prior to it becoming legal, um, somebody approached me that was in the industry and said, you've got to basically take what you've been doing for 28 years for the hospitality industry and apply it to the cannabis industry. And somebody said to me yesterday, they're like, you've Microsofted the cannabis industry. 
and made it very professional. So it's it, it, that's what I love. And when the media comes here, they're expecting to see dreadlocks and people smoking out. We don't we don't have it right. um, because we want people to know the business end of it. They can do that at home, um, you know. And there's laws that it has to be kept privately. We don't want just random people um, just doing it everywhere because that gives sure. it a bad. Um, reputation. So um, bringing everybody together, working together, the ancillary. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got MRX Labs here, family-run business. Um, They have built machines for the oils to take the flour and turn it into the oil. They are basically manufacturing all those machines in Canby, okay, and shipping them all over the world. So they're employing 30 to 40 people, and it's a family-run business. Mike Myers actually worked with my grandfather in the produce business. Oh, wow. So just seeing what it's doing for our economy and then the tax dollars, what it will do for education and mental health, um, that is a very big. What You know, the th- thing that's most incredible, Russ, I saw a Facebook post and somebody asked, how does this industry give back? There were 45 posts saying, I open up my doors and give to grow for vets. I open up my doors and I do compassionate care. I mean, everybody, even if they're not making money in this industry, has a way that they're giving back. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just incredible. Wow. Mary Lee Burton, this is the uh, Cannabis Collaborative Conference. It's the third annual taking place today and tomorrow. So you haven't missed it yet. There's still a whole day left. Tell folks the website and the costs and how they can get out. Okay. So the website is ccc-con.com. We also have a app that we, uh, so you can download the app, which is CCC Space. 3.0, and you can actually see all the speakers, all the sessions, everything that's going on here, the pitch portal, yes, which is amazing. So the first time I've heard of something like that, and I cover a lot of these events. It is, and and we've had now had four to five shows that want us to implement it in their shows. So it's really bringing together investors and the industry because people don't know how to get involved. Um, we got to kind of have our own fixes for the banking. So the tickets for one day, 149, you will walk away with more information and knowledge than you would ever imagine. Even if you don't, aren't part of the industry, it's just exciting to hear what everything that's going on in the industry. Um, and then we will have videos at the end of all the seminars and speakers, which right, will be very the time, exciting. Uh, for people and uh, parking or anything else? That you yes. Know. So we open um, the keynote uh, is at 1030, but open at nine. Um, we'll be open tomorrow till five. Uh, so for the sessions and so forth, $149 for the one day pass. We do have a... Um, to exhibit hall pass only that if you don't want to see that is um forty nine dollars oh, okay very affordable um and then parking i think is eight dollars yeah yeah, yeah. so or, but if you if you're a, a portland local the uh, max yellow line comes yes right out here. yes so just take go, go to one of those max park and ride places yes. park for free and then yes. just ride the max and then out. drive right in yeah. yeah it's it's great we're really thank you for being here of russ of course You've been a great supporter of this, and we, we couldn't do it alone. It's of all of us working together. That's why collaborative is in the name. Exactly. And there's really <laughs> no other industry like this. It's really the way that business should be run. I agree. Mary Lee Burton, thank you for putting this on, and good luck with today and the rest of tomorrow. Thank you. 
early the earlier this morning at the Cannabis Collaborative Conference. So much thanks for Marilyn Burton for getting me in there and getting some of the audio for today. We got more of that coming up next year in hour two. We got George Zimmer at the top of the hour, the founder of the men's warehouse now. You've been a long time marijuana supporter and one of the millionaire advocates that has helped pass many of the laws uh, in California that have gotten us where we are today. You'll hear from him and then an extended keynote speech from Steph Shearer, the founding executive director of Americans for Safe Access, and her concerns about marijuana under the Trump administration. Plus, a mini radical rant on how to be pro-patient without being anti-pothead. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.